bowlers and batters predominantly, and we might think about a great piece of fielding, but there is an 11th member of the team who often can get overlooked. And just before this conversation, in fact, I was talking with Lee, who's joined me this morning in Cardiff, about how increasingly perhaps in cricket um, wicket keepers are, are really pushed on their batting rather than the, the core skill so what we're talking about today with Lee it is the, the dual role and, and Lee will talk a little bit about his, his coaching background of wicket keeping in, in our sport of cricket but also goalkeeping in football and where there's overlap and what things are in common and what things are maybe different as well as thinking about some of those um, mental aspects of what can be probably quite an isolating part of the sport. So first off, thanks for joining me. Morning. We've Pleasure. got a nice day for it, haven't we? It's uh, cracking the flags here in, in Cardiff so we are sat outside. Which uh, Very lucky, Mark. It's yeah. usually, yes, <laughs> you pick about three days a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll get me sunburn as a souvenir from it. Um, yeah. Just, just to start with, um, we made contact on, on on Twitter as a lot of these things uh, start in that way, um, and I was drawn to the fact that you you, you do work in uh, across two sports in yeah. in the discipline where we would see things in common. So, just give us a little bit of a, a background as to how you've come to be uh, a coach who looks after goalkeepers and wicket keepers. I think basically, Mark, um, keeping is a passion for me. Uh, nothing to do with a glove fetish, by the way. Um, it's, it's something that's been a part of me from probably 11-year-old. I know we discussed this very briefly earlier. Um, adversity brings you into things. Um, a broken leg brought me into goalkeeping. Um, I put on so much weight, couldn't run around, and I was the guy who got stuck in goal. Uh, a broken leg combined with um, Ray Clements, the former Liverpool and England goalkeeper, was my idol. And um, it's been a passion since. Um, obviously played a little bit, obviously more f- football from a younger age, lucky enough to represent Wales and play a little bit of um, bit pro football in Newport County. And basically then, um, it's, it's just a specialised something, maybe it's a little bit of solitude, maybe it's a chance to be a hero, Yeah. one or the other. It's, it's just a, something that's really sort of, um, I've been fixated with for a long time now, and I, I'm passionate about it as well. Okay, and now that's interesting. Bit the idea of being being stuck in goal, being, being sort of pushed there because you, you can't fit in anywhere else, doesn't seem to be the case with wicket keeping as much though, does it? That people maybe consciously pick that. Um, now for you, you've picked picked wicket keeping because your football background had sort of led you to that. Yes. Yeah. In your experience of working with wicket keepers, what is it that makes them want to pick up the gloves rather than bowl or, or bat as a specialism? I think it's probably an opposite. You flick it, really. They're usually bubbly characters. Usually, um, how can I say, they're, they're diminutive guys. Um, guys who would never be goalkeepers, actually, because of the stature. But I think they just want to be involved. They were the guys with the fast twitch muscles, the boys who want to be catching balls, and they want to be in the game you know, for the for the hundred overs, you know, which is you know a mantra reminders you could possibly catch every ball in the game, playing the stumps. Yeah, so we, we get that, and then they are typically. I'm sure people listening think about wicket keepers they play with or against who um, have been vocal or have been involved, <laughs> um, and that yeah, that is a, that tends to be almost a prerequisite of doing the role that you're going to keep the team going and you're going to yeah. have that leadership even if it's not formally as as a captain. I suppose goalkeepers have that as well, and you think of someone like Peter Schmeichel bellowing out instructions and, and giving himself uh, 
you know heart palpitations with these, with, with, with these <laughs> straining and exhorting his players to do stuff but is there a little bit perhaps of more that introversion for goalkeepers sometimes yeah I, I think you know you look back at, at some of the goalkeepers growing up and for me it, it was it was just to be a little bit different it was you could be the hero but you're more likely to be the villain and I, I sort of used to weigh it up I, I've been a villain more than I've been a hero over the years but you, you know you can make that last save and you know you can take the pressure off your back four and for me, I just think, yeah, I think probably more of an introvert football and perhaps maybe the extrovert with the wicketkeeper. Yeah. When you look at someone like um, Paul Nixon, yeah. I mean, you know, manager of Box of Frogs, you know, Jack Russell, who I've been so fortunate to spend quite a bit of time with working. And honestly, one of the, one of the craziest guys I've met, but one of, one of the most, you know, he just knows everything about keeping. Yeah. You know, and, and if you want an example of somebody being mad... <laughs> As Jack, and and you know, if, even if he does hear this, he'll yeah. you know he he'll know that uh, I mean that quite affectionately. Sure, yeah, and he he's I've read the bits and pieces about some of his eccentric habits and the stuff with the tea bags and the, yeah. and all the rest of it. Now, that is something that wicket keepers can have that reputation of their of their, their slight idiosyncrasies and, and the way that they do with it. And it is easy for us to sort of look at look at it from, from a distance or up close and have a chuckle. Um, do they get the same pressure that the goalkeepers do in terms of defining moments in, in games? I suppose we have more opportunity to, to rescue things in cricket because it's a, a longer game and there's more runs than there are goals. Yeah, yeah. But how, how, how difficult is it to deal? Say you've got football and someone makes a howler. I remember the one I always think of is the, the Tim Flowers one when he played for Blackburn. <laughs> yeah, I remember Colin that. Colin Moore hit People look at that and think, you know, what a joke. Fortunately for, for someone like Flowers, who I, I love because he's a Coventry City fan, Mike, <laughs> and he went to play for them at the end of his career, he would still be remembered as being a you know, top quality keeper, won the Premier League, played for England. But on that bloopers reel, he'll be there for, for forever, whereas his great saves and his great organisation stuff perhaps won't be. So it's easy to pick those moments. With wicket keepers, maybe less so because there's so many opportunities to catch it. But in your experience playing at, and perhaps more importantly with coaching the players, how do you deal with the, the, the dropping of a chance or the misstumping or, or the fumbled run out when you've got so much of the game after to deal with? How do they cope with that? I think I think that's a process. Obviously, you know the, the process coaching, you know, and leading on to what what you're looking at yet is obviously the mental side of it. Now, that's a big thing that I'm I'm really big on that I feel is quite neglected, especially in um, in, in younger age groups. From experience, I remember taking like the under 13 age group with Wales, and asking each an individual, you know, what do you think? What do you think? What's the one thing that you worry about? And it was the fear of failure. What if I fail? And you ask the questions, you know, oh, I may not get picked again, or my mum and dad won't. And I, and I just think it's, it's about resilience. And I think what you do is, is basically opening it up really and highlighting something I think we need to be a little bit better at, a bit smarter at, at actually teaching resilience. Mm. Because as a, as a keeper, you're going to make, you're going to make mistakes. You know, in both football, I, make, I can remember laying plenty of howlers in, and I can remember in cricket the same thing, second ball, Standing up the stumps, gets a nick, drops it, a guy goes and scores 150. Oh, I, I'm sorry, you know, but I, I'm quite a strong yeah, character now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I've gone from being sort of someone who was quite introvert to being a little bit more of an extrovert now, purely because you've got to be a little bit more resilient. Yeah, yeah. Now, I spoke last night at a, at a, at a club in this region about 
resilience and saying a, a very simple way to be resilient is to remind yourself of the love of the game and to say actually whether I'm doing well or whether I'm doing badly I love playing the sport and it's easy to lose sight of it when you are making mistakes but I think with something with yeah whether it's a field or whether it's a wicket keeper or, or a bowler who's got to keep going despite having having issues that it can be if you can tap into this idea that you've got they've always got opportunities and yeah the opportunity could be to make a mistake but you might drop three but then you you snaffle one where it's a really important Absolutely. one you're back to being yeah. the hero yeah. so how how does in terms of practice and and training if that's the philosophy which is which which is a brilliant one to pass on to the players to, for them to be resilient to realize that a mistake doesn't define them how how does a a period of training with a wicket keeper build that what, what technical things can you do you do which then hopefully make them feel that more confident in their process I mean listen I think reflection is, is a massive thing um, obviously you know we do drills and, and, and of course I mean one of Jack Russell's mantras was catching balls how do you improve Jack catching balls yeah what's the perfect take Jack I always remember him saying to me quite funny you know, there was me, you know, a little bit starstruck still. Um, what's the perfect take? And he said, Lee said, if I caught the ball between the cheeks of my backside, he said, I still caught Russell in the book. And I just yeah. thought, well, coming from the world's best. Yeah. Um, I think in training, what we, what I tend to do is, is obviously just make it as light as possible, especially working with young keepers. It's just, I have a little bit of fun and say, look, you know, why are you here today? And they look at me as if I've got two heads. Well, I want to be better. So good. I said, Dan, would you rather be here or would you rather be in school doing a double maths lesson? Well, I'd rather be here, TV. So I said, well, what happens today now? You're going to drop some balls. We're going to look. We're going to give you a scenario. So let's just say, right, we've got a bucket of balls and we're going to catch. We're going to catch 15 out of 20. So they only catch 13. So the sort of head goes down and the shoulders go down. And, uh, and I walk up and I tell him, what do you get? Muffled 13. Yeah. Um, okay. I said, uh, do you enjoy it? Yeah. I said, uh, would you rather be in school? Doing that double maths, smile comes on your face. What are we going to do? We'll kind of catch the next one. And then guarantee, it's big in, it's big in youngsters up. Well, not just youngsters. I think we all like a little tap in the back yeah. and a little arm around the shoulder at a time. But I think it's making it fun. I think you touched on it earlier when we had a discussion prior to the interview that you're playing it because you've chose to play it. Your passion, you want to play it. And yeah, it will go, it will go wrong. But if you drop a catch, no one's died. Yeah. You've not got to sleep rough tonight. You've not got to walk back on to where you've got to go. Yeah. It's going to happen, and I think as long as you say that, children will be resilient. Yeah. You know, they'll understand that. I mean, I'm very lucky to deal with a lot of good up-and-coming wicketkeepers who are quite solid characters now already. Yeah. And they realise, we say, you know, and whereas they used to sort of throw the glove down and whatever, we laugh now. We don't laugh at each other; we laugh with each other. Yeah. And then I think that just takes a lot of the pressure out, and it's just a relaxed atmosphere. So, so anyone in a wicketkeeping environment, I just think you've just got to say, look, you're going to have bad days. But you know you're going to have a lot of good days, and you're going to give it your best shot. Yeah. And you're better than anyone, any of the other ten with those gloves on. Mm. Because have you ever seen an outfield player come and put the gloves on? Yeah, It'd be ugly, can't it? Yeah, yeah I, th I think it's, it's changed massively. Wicketkeeping. I mean, l like you said earlier, I think my wicketkeeping hero was uh, Bob Taylor, the old Derbyshire England keeper who batted ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, you know, I still think I'm always going to stand up for the gloveman. You know, I think a good gloveman he could probably okay gets a duck. He saves you 30, 40 in the field, yeah. takes a couple of wickets. So, listen, the jury's out. And, but unfortunately, nowadays, you've got to be, really have got to be a dual-role cricketer. Yeah. I don't mean that as any pun intended. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, and yeah, I suppose we, 
easy to pick, to look at times in cricket history where we might see that the time where it, it, it transitioned from being gloves first and now it's bat first. Yeah. Of course, we've had some exceptional exponents of both, like Alex Stewart, you yeah, know, getting yeah. in the team. For I think either. he changed it for yeah. everyone, really, didn't he? In um, England, and then and Jack himself could 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 bat, couldn't he? As we plenty of examples that South Africa game where he was at the other end to, to Atherton. But my hero, as um, from a keeping perspective, best I think still. But I am biased because it was from the county that I'm from. But someone like Keith Piper, yeah, what a wonderful yeah. wicketkeeper! But again, in modern day for batting, wouldn't get would probably wouldn't get a look in. Um, who knows? Keith might then have said, right, well, batting I've really got to work on, and, and surely it have worked out. But um, even if you look at club sides, wicketkeepers will tend to be in that top six, and, and it will be that they have that their own dual kind of specialism within that. But um, what you're saying there about just enjoying it, I think, is is so simple and so but so important that people then go past that and forget that it's yeah. actually recreation yeah. and if people are fortunate enough to do it for a living the reason why they're fortunate to do it for a living is because it is still a game and it's still fun yeah. so uh, that yeah can never stress that 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 enough um and i i, I did a little bit of work with <clears throat> to tender Taibu not too yeah, long ago yeah 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 um, and we, we had a chat for, for the podcast and I remember seeing Zatenda do a couple of keeping drills where intentionally the ball was flying around everywhere and this guy is kept uh, and he's had these some of the best batsmen in the world some of the best batsmen ever stood in front of him while he's keeping but always had this smile on his face and the balls were pinging around everywhere some of them he took nicely some of them were just you know no one's going to get near and his reaction to it wasn't a frown and kind of angry and thinking his ego was dented but he was kind of chuckling thinking well that was a tough one and his attitude was I want that challenge again yeah. just, to, just out of curiosity to see whether he manages to, to, to deal with it better which just made me take a step back and think for challenges, whether they're for wicket keeping or elsewhere, the one temptation is to think straight away, oh, well, that's too difficult for me, and you close it off. Another is to go, well, hang on, let's just have a little bit of a play around with that. And I might not succeed, but I'll have a bit of fun in trying Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah, what, you know, and putting the effort in and saying, right, how far can I go? I mean, yeah, I'll do loads of drills, and you're more than welcome, and next time you're down to come and have a little look. Um, I try and make them as innovative as, uh, as possible, but the game hasn't changed it hasn't really changed it's evolved massively but the game hasn't changed I think a classic example is is when you're up at the stumps it's actually taking balls off of seamers another massive thing for me is keeping your inside leg braced because if you try that and rotate the hips you can probably take balls up to around the slip and a half standing up the stump and still bring your hands back to take the bales off of the stumping yeah. and that was probably one of the biggest things that, I, that I've learned so standing up theoretically if you didn't move you know, and then it's always that little skip down the leg side. You're taking out the stumping. But obviously, if you're keeping that inside leg braced, you've got that thing to come back, or the two hands modern day nowadays, yeah. just to drive the hips back. So it, I'm always believing practice hard, play easy. I think that's a big mantra of mine, um, because you'll be surprised what you can achieve. And I think with keepers, they tend to be that breed where they are quite determined characters, goalkeepers. And, and I think with working with groups as well, I think it's probably the only position that they actually get along they're vying for one position but in my experience and you know every every sort of keeper they say there's a union don't they, they yeah. say there is a keepers yeah, union yeah. and I think on the whole there is I mean there's one or two people on Twitter who, are, who may be a little bit different the old armchair coaches yeah, yeah. but I think on the whole you know 
working with keepers, you know, and there's nothing better than working in, you know, in the muck, and you've got five or six keepers trying to beat each other, playing goalkeeper wars, and yeah. you know, and the same with keeping, you know, how many can you catch today? You know, right, I'm going to catch this. I'm going to so it just drives them on. But I think you know, I'm going to keep going back to that aspect of of, of fun. You know, I, I think sports has been a massive, massive thing in my life, and my lads come through as a keeper as well. Obviously, played some professional stuff, which was was obviously a proud moment. But again, going back to the batting stuff, you know, it was quite strange because he, he spent all his time coming up through the Wales age groups as an opening bat, and he made his debut as a, as a keeper batting eight. Nine. So you know, it's it's that little role. But I think there's there's an issue. The pressure comes when they get a professional contract. When it goes away from playing for enjoyment, then it becomes playing for your living. Yeah. And I think a, a big area, and I've spoken to the PCA quite a bit on this, and I had experience with my lad Cam as well, that all of a sudden you fly in and you're in high life and then it's gone. Mm. And I think that is a period where, you know, you're probably well aware of this, you go into dark places because it's such a time-consuming life, cricket. Yeah. With football, it's slightly different. You know, you get you get your prep. Nowadays, we, we go, you know, we, we're massively before there, you're prepping, but it's still only taking, let's, let's just say, perhaps four hours tops cricket seven hours eight hours and when you go guys probably you know are on the staff who are set really second pushing to go it's a tough life because they've got to travel in their own vehicles a lot of the time a lot of time to think about it and you know that's another thing that that's why the resilience thing for me needs to be implanted earlier yeah and, and I really think I think what you're doing with opening up I think it, it's, it's something that you know I, I can't speak highly of because I just think it's so important well th- well yeah I, I think what you what you touch on there about that players moving from playing yeah not playing for a living and then playing for a living they get and it's not and it, and it needs to happen t- to some extent they get then a switch from being about the process to then thinking more and more about the consequence of course it's yeah. in saying well the process kind of yeah I'm doing that and that's my job to do the process during the week but I'm then judged contract renewal on the consequence and some of those things you don't have any control over and I spoke with um, someone a little while ago on the, on the county circuit about um, and I can, I can do I do understand the county's perspective with it being a business and you can only retain so many players and, and so on and so forth but some of the, the methods they, they have of of tracking and monitoring players do seem like if you did them in for Specsavers, NatWest, whichever other company on the high street, it would look really cruel. Yeah. And, and, and the way that they're saying, right, well, the likelihood of you having your contract renewed is here. Um, and then you're saying, well, what can I do to have a greater likelihood of it? Well, just, you know, your, your numbers need to improve. But if you're, for example, I guess in wicket keeping, you're the number two. You need game time, and you've got someone ahead of you, and they're doing fine. You can't control that, but that is going to be a big factor as to whether you continue being a professional or not. So, yeah, a lot of stuff there, which is is actually quite, even from the outside, is quite frightening. The lack of security within it, and we crave that, don't we? And it's easy for us to say, you know, over a cup of a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, oh, you just need to enjoy it. For them, then it takes on a different dimension. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of that, that those those keepers, I mean, you mentioned they're the keepers' union, and, and if you have a group of them working together, they can kind of drag each other up, and they maybe empathise with each other's struggles. If we're at, um, if we're in a club environment where the, the, if they if a club's fortunate and it's got 
uh, a coach or a director of cricket, they'll often be doing work on outfielding, batting, bowling. A keeper can be neglected a little bit, particularly if you've got... Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being diplomatic, yeah. And especially if you've got... You know, we've, we've all got these situations where you may have, say, a first 11 wicket keeper who, who, who's, who's pretty solid. And then as you go through the teams, well, it might be if John's missing, then Pete or whoever will, will put the gloves on. And I said Pete there accidentally, but there's a guy called Pete at my club <laughs> yeah. who does yeah. occasionally the put them on. Pete. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it can be kind of left as, as an accident how well they, they train. What is there that you know, your regular club can, can do within its normal training that just takes care of the keepers a little bit more? So when they're not necessarily able to specialise in the way that you do with keepers, but are there things that can integrate keepers a bit better? Yeah, most certainly. I, I think the issue for me is the lack of knowledge for coaches. Um, even now at, at the top level, you know, in certain areas, um, you know, how is he getting on? It's, oh, he's got your balls, he looks okay. You know, it, it's, it's still, to me now, it's gone more sort of 80-20 batting keeping. But I think going back to your question there, I think coaches have got to be aware of the importance of the keeper. You know, even if you're going to involve him in drills with shadow batters, I, I wouldn't advocate that all the time because it becomes a little bit unrealistic because people play shots and nets that they wouldn't play, never play on a Saturday. I, you know, I would dedicate time where you take you take them away, use distractions, use flexi stumps, use marker discs, use just something to watch the ball, catching balls, and, and just make them feel that they're part of that side. Because yeah. I, I think the sign of a good keeper is when you don't notice him. You know, is you can catch it, he drops one ball, lets one by go. And you know, to me the buy thing is is a myth. I think too many young keepers get a lot of the time the buys, you know, at the end of the day, they're gonna happen. Yeah. It's when you take the catches. But I think Going back there again with the question, I think coaches need to educate themselves a little bit more. Listen, we can we can all have massive specialties in all different fields, but I think, and it may be the job of the first team keeper to say, look, you know, let's let's bring these lads in, let's give them a little bit back, and just as part of the union. But I certainly think they need some specialist time in any session, and I think probably that's down to the coaches to try and make yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think like I think this has a parallel with the with mental skills that people can do things that are incredibly simple um, that don't need to be revolutionary but because they don't have a base of knowledge they get put off doing it so of they think they do. oh I'm not yeah. I don't know about wicket keeping cool, keep so I'm not going to do it yeah. yeah when if they invested a little bit of time they would know something about wicket keeping same with the mental skills people would go you, I, I mentioned things which I would consider to be really simple and then people would then eventually go, oh yeah, well we could do that. But they, but in the first place they were put off because they thought, oh, mental because that's a whole field I know nothing about. So I think that's useful for, for, for people in club environments to think, well, actually, we're keeping, let's do just a bit of research. But again, you can use your bowlers. I mean, I, I, I'm a big advocate of, of target bowling for lengths without a batter there because, like I quite, you know, said earlier, they play outrageous shots in nets that they yep. wouldn't play. So you can get a bowler working the targets. Obviously, rather than the, the, the coach go on the mitt, get your keepers in there. Yeah. Have a look at your keepers. You know, talk, let the bowlers have that conversation with their keeper. Because on a Saturday, you know, if I'm going to be bowling a slower ball, or if I'm going to be bowling, I'm going to put my yeah. little quick ball through. It's that. It's that communication. But I think you're quite right. It's that little fear of the lack of knowledge. And to me, it's quite simple. Everybody can do fielding drills. Yeah. You've just got to be a little bit more innovative, a little bit, a little bit smarter, and just make it a bit wacky. Yeah. Yeah. Wicket keepers and goalkeepers love weird things because yeah. <laughs> they're usually weird people. Yeah, and yeah, I'm a great example. <laughs> well, I like all the stuff with yeah. Some of the training aids that are out there, 
and you see some of the bits and pieces that have been used um, like baking trays the ball coming off and the ramps and things like that um, yeah I, probably people listening will have I had a conversation with someone last weekend about this so I made sure I'm going to mention this <laughs> there's a piece of kit that's at loads of clubs that gets neglected that gets put at the back of a garden or under the stairs or wherever it is that is brilliant it's maybe a bit old school but it's due a revival and it's good for keepers it's good for slip food it's good for anyone who wants to practice catching the cradle. old cradle the old yeah. cradle yeah and some of them will be nice smooth plastic efforts and then some of them are these old ones that wouldn't have got bits and bobs where they're missing <laughs> Been left out they, in the rain for months and they and fly years. everywhere but that you'd think if you, someone wanted to start saying right well let's actually make an effort to get the keepers involved good place to start throw a few balls are there you, you get a bit of competition involved and some of the angles that they come off at uh, are, are fantastic so uh, yeah I bet people could look around and find something like that or, I think what's or changed from then is the, is the catch it ramps because obviously they become more portable. I mean, I've got about four or five of them in the car. Similar type of similar type of thing, especially if you've got. Um, I've got the field, the the powered head, you know, from the bowling machine. You know, I've got a couple of tennis ball feeding machines, um, and, and for me, absolutely, because you know, it just does a little bit different. It deviates a little bit. Yeah. But going back to the cradle, I mean, you're right. I, I mean, to me, that's more realistic because of the height of the cradle normally. You end up taking the ball in the perfect place around waist height. Yeah. Whereas with, with the catchy ramps, I use them a lot up to the stumps. I think, you know, going about innovative things, I mean, a simple thing I made the other day from a bit of a Blue Peter job going on here. Yeah. It was um, a piece of um, pipe lagging. So I put, I put that over the, over the top of the stump, over the top of a plastic stump. Um, I cut a, a Weedabix box into little strips and covered them with packing tape. And I put three or four on the outside edge and two on the inside edge so of course you're going to get next but no deviation so again it's going to make you watch the ball more and, and that has gone down like an absolute dream so you put that you put that in front of the normal stumps in the keeper on where the bat obviously you can switch it around the right hand left hand and then especially out of a you know up to a machine or you can feed you know yeah. you can throw in drums or whatever and it's brilliant because it gives big nicks and then of course the year the nick yes you know and you're starting to get them involved more yeah. rather than just bowling when there's nothing happening they're looking for that nick yeah so you what you know you obviously watch it i mean i, I use numbered balls um I, I draw big numbers on the ball and i say right tell me when you can get it and you start throwing it they go i can't see it i can't see it but what they're doing they're watching that ball you're never going to see it yeah it's impossible yeah. you know and but it was just something that i think it was when I was out in the States, it was something on the base, the base, what the, the pitchers used to, used to say, and when the batters, then you had to watch the ball. But, it, it, you know, you put a, one number's on that, you know. I don't know, I can't see it. Oh, there's a two on that. When it's like not a number on it anyway. Yeah. But I just focus it, but that's more fun. If you had a go with that, yeah. you didn't, you know, straight away you'd be thinking, okay, I'm going to watch this ball because I want to catch this nick. And, you know, it's, it's little things. It's like, I, I bought a little thing out called a distractor. It's, um, it's like a piece of, like, woven mesh on a, on a broomstick. And I just wave it in front of the keeper, and the ball goes under. I've cut strips at the bottom, so you'll get deviation, but you'll still, it's not a massive nick, so yeah. it's more realistic. And again, they love that. Yeah. You know, so, it, listen, it's about making it fun. Because, yeah. you know, you have got to be that little bit different. You know, a lot of people over the years have looked at me and just say, this, he's just bonkers. Yeah. You know, and, but that's, that's what we do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. One, one little thing, I suppose it's more of a, a kind of technical uh, bit here that I think a lot of people probably discuss this these um, more and more these days influence of the pro game coming into say uh, to recreational amateur cricket is we get a lot more wicket keepers 
maybe not necessarily being maybe they're told to by the bowler maybe they do it without without being told and, and, and wherever it comes from standing up more yeah. especially to, to yeah. the seamers where I sound like my dad but how many years ago you wouldn't see it <laughs> yeah. uh, now what, where do you where do you stand on that is that is that a good development or do we feel sometimes that actually it's sometimes I see in some cases it feels like it's almost for the sake of it and they might benefit being further back to have that cleaner tape what do you reckon I, I, personally I think I think it's the choice of the, of the keeper I think it's dependent on how the ball's carrying um, obviously if the ball's coming through and somebody's bowling a good rate of knots you want to be taking in waist chest height go stand back you've given yourself more time but I'm a big advocate, advocate for going up to the stumps because you just put the batsman under a little bit more pressure. A lot of people, myself included, they say like batting out their crease. You've got to go back in. I, I've had this actual, I'm not going to give any names away, but I've had this actual conversation this week where, where a very, very talented young lad wants to go up to the stumps more because he's always been doing that. But he's been told, well, you know, it puts the bowlers off. And, I, and I'm not going to tell you what I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, he's up there because he feels he's giving the team the best opportunity to get wickets. But but it is a difficult one, and I would imagine it's a good topic of debate. Mm-hmm. It's it's about taking your catches. For me, it's about preparation because if you go early enough to the game, see what the car, see what carry you're getting. Um, you know, if, if it's a slow slow wet dog, then obviously you're going to try and come up there. But for me, I just think it's. Uh, gives you that little bit of an edge when you do go up but obviously if you're missing every ball and the ball's going yeah. down the leg side I think it's a choice but for me purely I think it's a keeper's choice I think it should be able to get, if he's proficient enough to do it and he, and you know he backs himself and it's and it's to the plus not the detriment of the team yeah, yeah every time yeah okay every time interesting yeah yeah and, and I think going back to the Jack Russell quote about you just find a way of, of yeah, catching or stopping one of the things I find particularly impressive when I see a good keeper is particularly if the bowler's radar's gone out a bit and they're stood up and there's one that's kind of flung down the leg side and it might not be called cleanly but they've done their job maybe it's the pad or it's their arm or whatever or I've seen someone actually get the helmet in the way and stuff like this that I think as a, as a batter then it makes you think flipping it nothing's getting past them because that was an ugly one that you've got probably a right to go finally can deal with that so there's that aspect as well yeah. that even when things aren't going well they, they can pull off something that's unexpected it doesn't have to be a clean catch and, and keeping hold of that idea that your job is to catch the ball but if that's not possible to stop it yeah. um, and, and maybe the keepers and people watch from the, from the sidelines sometimes don't they and cricket spectators whether they're players ex-players or, or just a, a randomer <laughs> tend to be experts on Wickets, everything. <laughs> yeah, everything. <laughs> wickets, uh, and often wicket keeping as well. Yeah, or, or, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll they'll throw it in, but there'll be stuff about saying, "Oh, that pitch is doing this," and then you say, "Have you ever been a groundsman?" No, and they'll say stuff about <laughs> wicket keepers about where their hands are, where their heads are, without perhaps having tried it. So some of it must be around saying, "You do what's right for you," and however possible, just try to have that confidence that you've prepared as well as you can. And that external noise from people who are giving their view isn't relevant and, and trying with there. Now, if we think towards the end of this chat about the, the, the dual aspect then, yeah. bringing some of the goalkeeping stuff in there. So I've got your, your keys in front of us here and you've got a glove there. Just reminding us <laughs> yeah. of it. Um, what, we had a bit of a chat about this on Twitter. A few people threw their ideas in. If you're a goalkeeper in football, you tend to be 
pretty tall. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of some of my favourites in years gone by, not necessarily the, the tallest. So, um, Bartes always looked quite yeah. small. It's probably over six foot still. Um, but yeah, the goalies tend to be, be taller. The wicket keepers might be a little bit shorter. But what are the what kind of skills are transferable the most? Do you think? I think feet, feet, head, and hands are, are, are prevalent in both. I mean, obviously, lots of small movements uh, and, and you know being dynamic. You know, to me, I've always advocate um, a keeping trigger, standing, standing back. So it's a it's a step in. So it's that movement. So it's it's like stepping out narrower than the angle. So as a goal, as a wicketkeeper stepping in, because for me, if you're just down on the old, down on your knees and haunches, the first the first movement is your gloves towards the ball. So to me, I, I like to get things moving. I think you can do a lot of crossover drills with obviously cones and and, and and obviously spots and everything else. And I just think obviously mobility, you know, when those worldly one-handers, yeah. you know, in front of first and second slip. I mean, that differs with size. You know, you look at someone like Ben Folks, who was, was a big guy. You know, he's probably got to take one step on a dive whereas you look at someone perhaps you know the, the smaller guys like Tatan you was, you was on about him earlier I mean yeah. probably would, would have had to take three but I just think it's the movements I think it's the it's the relaxed hands I think you're always ready for that the biggest key for me though is keeping that gap between head and hands as small as possible obviously it changes a little bit because obviously when you're a goalkeeper your hands are there yeah. and then obviously when you change to a keeper obviously his, finger, his fingers down predominantly but if you look at it on a decent bouncy track, when you're standing back to a seamer, a lot of the movements when you reverse cap, taking the balls there, it's all that movement with the head and hands. You know, how many times have you heard on a cricket pitch, I keep it up to the stump saying, stay down, stay down. Well, it's not a case of staying down. What happens, you come up and the gap from your head and your hands naturally increases. So obviously when you get that second chance, so if I'm out there taking that ball there and it bounces, it's out of my, out of my range. If I'm in there, I've always got that second chance to do it. So to me, it's, it's mobility, it's awareness. I call it fast twitch. You know, it's always those, you know, you, you look at most people and they're busy, you know, and a lot of keepers are tall keepers. I mean, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with some big guys, but on their feet, they're fantastic. Of course, you know, it's dependent on the ball. If the ball's draggling around in the dirt, it's nice to be five foot eight, five foot nine. Yeah. But I, I think it's how you work and how you train. But I think it's the dynamics. I think obviously watching the ball is a massive one. And being in the game, Mm. And being a little bit different because yeah. you are different. You've got those things on your hands called gloves, yeah. and 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 for me, it, it just makes you feel that little bit as if to say, well, I'm looking around my team, and I'm the best at doing this job. Yeah. I may not be the best batter, you know. I may not be the best bowler. Yeah. But you know what? I'm the best in you. Yeah. Because I can use these gloves. Not very well, but I can use them <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a common thing I I'd say is both a wicketkeeper and a goalkeeper their levels of concentration need to be be top-notch but they're called upon in very different ways so if we've got a wicketkeeper it's yeah every single ball you've got to be on it you've, you've got to be in the game all the way as a goalie but if you're a team that's uh, that's used to having a lot of possession you might have those and you see with the high profile examples you get the commentators saying oh they just kind of switched off and yeah. so on whereas wicketkeeper if they switch off one ball there can be an outcome that they're very quickly alerted they have to switch back on yeah. so say with your goalies yeah um what 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 work is done with them to try and help them with that that focus because it's very difficult just to be entirely absorbed in something directly for that 
full 45 minutes. Yeah. They maybe need to have little time switching off, but what kind of things are done to help them be able to be concentrating when it matters? Slightly different for me with goalkeepers and wicketkeepers. Goalkeepers first. I think if you're a good communicator, I mean, you know, you look at some of the real good goalkeepers, you know, obviously Ray Clements was a favourite of mine. I mean, he played in a Liverpool side, but he made one save in the 89th minute. Yeah. But I was lucky enough to go and watch him quite a bit. And the soundtrack of his voice, talking to his defenders, just so it's going all the time. So rather than a switch off and just think, oh, well, I'm going to sit on the goalpost now and wait for Dalglish to score another yeah. three goals. And, and then when he makes that save, so to me, it's the dialogue. I, I mean, when I played, I, was, I like to think I was a decent talker, a good communicator, and that helped me concentrate. You know, with the cricket, it's slightly different because you cannot concentrate for three hours of an innings. I think someone someone once told me, and I may be, I may be proved wrong, that you've, if you concentrated fully for a whole day, you could get an hour. So I say to the boys now when I'm coaching, okay, you're going to concentrate, well, you're concentrating on everything. And what they do in the first class level, it's quite funny because my lads played first class, and he said, what they used to do, he said they'd tell jokes or play games in between, so they'd have sort of 15 seconds when the bowler goes back into his run, comes in and they're 100% focused. So the next ball, they take the ball and it goes away. And then it was, I remember him telling me one day, Cam, that they were playing and the last word of the last conversation, you had to come back with the song for the next one. So probably they, was, they weren't really concentrated as much as they should. <laughs> but it's just diffusing that and it's, it's, taking, it's taking it away because you've got to, it's that switch on, switch off. You know, I work quite a lot with the keepers with that, you know, find a way of how they want to do it. You know, so for me, it's slightly different in both, but no, both equally important. Yeah, yeah. The communications, yeah, absolutely crucial in it. it it's the key for me in, in any area of sport because, yes, it helps the team achieve its goals, but when someone maybe needs that little bit of help and assistance, if they've got the channels of communication open, then it's easier for people to, to respond. Um, how much crossover? We, we spoke a, a, again a little bit earlier about the problems, the perils of specialising too early in sports. I know it's something yeah. that you're, uh, you have a similar view to me on, that, that, that we get people quite often shoehorned into, say, just cricket, just football, just rugby, yeah. whatever it is, without then having a break and not trying something else, meeting new, new friends and, and trying new skills. How much of a, of a crossover um, do you see between your, say your, say your wicketkeepers that you work with, yeah. do they play a winter sport or are people specialising more and more now? I think unfortunately people are, are, are going down the line of too early for me. This is an old personal opinion for me. I mean, from going back to my old day, I mean, I grew up with two brothers. I was a middle lad. My dad let us have a cricket ball from, I think it was April to the end of September. You wouldn't see that ball again and you'd see a football for the rest of the year. I think nowadays, um, personally, I would let, I would let kids play anything. They'll choose the sport they love in the end if you give them that opportunity. I think specialising at an early age is crazy because let's just say there's a nine, ten-year-old kid who's and they're going probably 12 months a year cricket now. Then by the time they come to 12, 13, they're going to be so fed up with it, so fed up with the traffic. Whereas if they play a little bit in the winter, you know, uh, perhaps maybe perhaps once or twice a month coming up to Christmas and then start again in the new year. I, I you know, for me, I would always say give them every, any ball you can, give them any opportunity to play sport. Um, but don't specialise because you know you're probably the same as me. You, you know you chose your sport because you enjoyed it more, mm. and probably because you were probably best at that. But you tried other sports, 
you know, listen, it's not all about it's depending where you go. I'm talking about in a, in a probably an elite in a performance environment or where you're looking to make a career from it. Well, I, I would give them everything because there'd be so much communication and coordination. You know, you see you see people now who are just batting and bowling and catching. Movement patterns are very poor. Whereas if they were playing rugby or football or tennis, then you get that. You know, the, we talked about the small steps earlier. You know, and you get the mobility in it. And and yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that. I mean, I'm I'm quite strongly against specialising too early. Mm. Listen, everybody wants wants to try and get. You know, I was lucky enough for my lad played, but uh, you know, he played with he played equally with the football. You know, and, yeah. and it was his choice in the end that, that he, he chose cricket. So yeah. I'm with you on that, Matt, 100. Yeah. Well, I think as well, if you link it back to sort of mental health and, and mental fitness, the relentless pursuit of, of, of anything isn't isn't healthy. You know, spending too much time just on one thing, not having a break, just lead to those those burnouts or whatever we call it, or people then just being disengaged with it and. I mean, we'll all have examples. I can think of people who were pushed incredibly hard with with cricket, and now at the time when they should be, whatever level it is, they should be in their the best time of their life in terms of you know they always say you know kind of like your mid to late twenties, your peak. Everyone's different. Who don't play at all, yeah. and that that will be in these cases is just anecdotal. The ones I'm thinking of, the two or three, simply because at an age when they were developing they were pushed too much and they ended up resenting the sport and yeah. I hope that they come back later have an interaction with it and then go actually I really enjoyed that at a point and now it's on my terms but maybe that ship sailed for them whereas say maybe some of these later developers where they've worked out for themselves well I prefer cricket or they prefer rugby Absolutely. or whatever yeah. and it's got to be a, a, about that but I'm sure there'd be someone who can, who can, who can get in touch and, and give the benefits of just rigidly sticking to one sport but the oh, listen, it's, it's, it's about opinions, isn't yeah. it? And, and perhaps someone's just only played cricket and they went on to play the test arena. I think just on that, if, if one thing I would like to mention on that is I think my mantra is really is, is, is coaching the person, not the player. And I think the saddest thing I've seen, I, I played football with a lad from very young age and his dad was one of these quite vocal guys and do this, do this, do this. And he got to the age of 18, 19 and him and his dad fell out and they never spoke until his dad passed away and I speak to him now and he said that's that really hurt me but he said but at the time he used to push me so hard that I just resent I, and of course he, he gave up football probably in his 20s right yeah exactly what you said it's a difficult one um, yeah. I think I think what you do is a massive thing I, th- I think opening up I think the actual the pressure on these kids to succeed now in everything they do is, is incredible you know I just think there's the expectations are far, far too high. Mm. You know, we all want our kids. You know, I want my two to be the best they can, and but I want them to be happy. You know, people say, "Oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, he's a good cricketer and she's good at netball and whatever." But the nicest thing with you is that, oh yeah, they they good kids and good people. Yeah, and that's the mantra for me. You know, keepers. You know, some of them are quite temperamental, especially young ones. Yeah. and you know, you learn to nurture that, and it's going back to that process of communication and. I think that's where good coaches are worth their weight in gold. It's that trust, that trust thing between the two. Yeah. You know, it may be a nine-year-old kid, it may be yourself, but that doesn't mean you know that you haven't, you know you haven't got to respect him. You know, I've, I've worked with people from sort of nine, and they come up now to sixteen, seventeen, and it's, it's more of a process now where they they tell me what they want to do, and they ask me, 
what do you think? And that's it. Yeah. Whereas in the past, but again, if, if they'd have a little strop, and you know, one, one lad, I'm not going to mention him on here, but I mean, he's a very, 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 very promising young lad, and I think good things are expected of him. I think he's 15 now. Um, I think he's doing, going to be looking at England 19 stuff, you know, a couple of years young. And um, I was, we had a nickname and we called him Churchill, the dog. He yeah. always shakes his head all the time. Because <laughs> every time he drop a ball, the old Churchill and shoulders will go down. And so even now I give him a shout now and I say, yeah, come on, old Churchill. And he turns around and he usually gives me a gesture back now because yeah. he's a little <laughs> bit bigger. But it's that mutual respect, you know, and um, I, I think that's the key. Yes. I think it's, it's, it's all coming back to that enjoyment factor. You know, that's the key for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, honestly, keeping has changed my life. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 it's me from going from that shy kid to being someone who's actually made a career out of trying, you know, playing first and then developing the next generation of goalkeepers. You know, because listen, they have their dark moments, keepers. You know, I, I mean, one of the saddest was Robert Enker, you know, the German keeper. I, I recently read his book, and it was so shocking that nobody, nobody saw it. Yeah. Listen, I think things have changed massively for the good, yeah. for the better. I think what you're doing is a brilliant thing um, because we've all got our battles and we go and play sport to get away from our battles. Yeah. Some go bigger battles than others. And, you know, when you hear some of the suicide rates in, in failed, not failed cricketers, probably finished cricketers, yeah. and, the, and some of the sad stories and you just think, well, because there's so much time to think about things and if you've got no one there to actually point you and give you a... You know, some people, you, you're probably the same, there's, there's two types. There's, there's an arm round, which predominantly most people are, and sometimes you've got to kick the backside. Yeah. And I try and put them broadly in, that, in those two yeah. brackets. I think the skill of a coach is knowing which is which. Yeah. You don't kick someone who needs an arm round. So. And, and, the, and the, the thing is, it, it, yeah, absolutely. The guy who, who perhaps does need to kick up the arse, or, or a bit of a tough love, as some people say, that's pe- that is still communicating with them that is still is. working with them um, so yeah finding a way knowing the person and we mentioned communication a lot through this either on pitch or off pitch yeah. good coaches or just you know good people around players make that massive difference oh. and if cricket was meant to, cricket is the classic thing people say it's a it's a team sport played by a group of individuals and all the rest of it but and that is true you own your own figures, your bowling figures, your batting figures, or your, if you're totting up your buys, conceded or whatever. <laughs> but you don't just play on your own. You have got those ten around well, you. Sure. And just anything that people can do, yeah, to help people improve their game, but just to remind them at every point along the way that this is, uh, this is something that's, as you say, it's meant to be fun. And if cricket, great sign to anyone, if, if someone isn't enjoying their, their cricket, then, yeah, it could be the cricket that's doing that. But we should still be able to enjoy it even when things aren't going as well. Yeah. Now, at the, in the, I think it's in the, yeah, in the Wacker, they've got in their gym on the wall, it says, we enjoy it more when we win. I've seen it. Yeah, I've been it's there. brilliant, I've seen isn't it? it? And yeah. I looked at that, and originally, I've probably said this on the podcast before, I looked at that and thought, this is typical, like, reductive kind of Aussie philosophy. It doesn't mean anything. And I walked out and I thought, it does mean, in fact, it means a hell of a lot. It mm. says that you enjoy it anyway, but you enjoy it more when Absolutely. you win. Absolutely. That's so the difference, isn't if, it? If someone, yeah. if someone is still is not enjoying it at all because things aren't going well, then we don't want that. And it might be that it isn't actually the cricket. The cricket might be where we see it, but there's other stuff that's going on. And we, we, we want to make people 
we want to make people happy, we want to make people um, develop as individuals and so on. So that kind of philosophy is absolutely brilliant. Now, as we finish, yeah. um, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> Give me one thing, if someone was thinking at any stage in their career about maybe, do you know what, Wicket keeping is that for me? What would you say is the biggest attraction to being a keeper compared to any other role in the game? As a wicket keeper, you've got the potential to be on the field every for every ball of the game. If you're a decent batter as well, yeah. and you, that was the thing for me. You know, I, I started off as a, as a as an opening bat and a medium pace doubler, but I got bored, and I thought oh, I'll try this. And obviously, with the head and hands, I have reasonable head. I used to try and die for everything. When I first started, didn't move my feet, just dived in yeah. just to look, you know, look like worldy dives. But for me, you're in the game. You've got a, you've got a massive influence on our game. People can see you, people can hear you. You know, you're the focal point. You know, and you've got the opportunity to be the hero. You know, to me, I don't think there's any negatives. And listen, I'm going to be biased yeah, on yeah. that. You know, I think you've got to be a special breed to be a keeper. I think you've got to have massively thick skin, and you've got to be able to bounce back. But I think the joys of donning the gloves and being that a little bit different, that's what makes it for me. Yeah, spot on, very persuasive. Well, that's been brilliant. Um, thanks again for joining Thank me, Thank you. Uh, and we'll make sure we, we keep in touch, mate. Absolutely, definitely.